Welcome back to another episode of the Pop Punk Project. I am your host, Keenan, And I'm your other host, Mike. This is it, everyone. We made it. It's the season two finale of the podcast, the exciting conclusion of yet another epic pop punk adventure. And to celebrate, we'll be exploring Fall Out Boy's album, Infinity on High. That's right, Keenan. This is a very special moment for us. But I have to say, I'm a little confused why we're playing the Olympic theme song this week. Shouldn't we be doing one of our stupid opening bits? Well, Mike, I thought we needed a little pomp and circumstance. Remember how I told you I'd find an Olympic gold medalist for this week's episode? Yeah, I do, but I thought that was just a joke. I never joke, Mike. Everyone knows I don't have a single funny bone in my body. I'm pretty sure that's why everybody calls me spineless. (laughs) You can say that again. So who is it? Who's what? Who did you get for the episode? Uh, oh, that's right. Sorry. Spaced out for a second. Just so flustered because of this amazing guest. Just tell me who it is. This week, we'll be joined by Olympic gold medalist and pop punk enthusiast Tessa Gobo Zimmerman. Oh my god. Rowing legend Tessa Gobo Zimmerman, winner of the women's aid at the 2016 Rio Olympics. That's the one, Mike. Oh my gosh. I can't wait any longer, Keenan. Let's row, row, row our boats in. <laughs> All right, Tessa, big build up here. Infinity on High was Fall Out Boy's third studio album, released on February 6, 2007 by Island Records. Recorded from July to October of 2006 at Pass Studios in Los Angeles, its music was composed by lead singer and guitarist Patrick Stump, and the lyrics were penned by bassist Pete Wentz. In addition to the songwriting duo, lead guitarist Joe Troman and drummer Andy Hurley returned as well. So Mike, Pete Wentz wrote the lyrics, Pat Stump wrote the music, isn't that their usual process? It is, Keenan. Pete writes what he wants Patrick to say, and Patrick just says it. (laughs) That's a good relationship. Yeah. The album features collaborations with new producers and guest artists, such as Babyface, who is typically an R&B producer, and Jay-Z, and sees the band experimenting with genres including R&B, soul, and flamenco. (laughs) (laughs) I was not expecting to see flamenco right there. (laughs) Direct copy-paste. (laughs) Nice. Fall Out Boy also utilized instruments such as horns, violins, and pianos, which had not been used on previous releases. Infinity on High debuted at number one on the U.S. Billboard 200, selling over 260,000 copies in its first week of sales and becoming the band's first number one album. To date, the album has sold over 2 million copies worldwide and over 1.4 million in the U.S. alone. Wow, that's pretty one-sided, actually. I was expecting them to have more overseas fans, I guess. Maybe they have. Who uh, Who knows? So we're talking February 2007. Mike, what in the world is going on here? What a time to be alive, Keenan. On February 16th, singer Britney Spears controversially shaves her head. Do you remember that? Yeah, that was the day that she actually did it? Yeah, apparently. And, um... Time has been very kind to old Britney. I think recently everybody's come around on how insane all the coverage of her every move had been at that point in time. And very topical because 
I know recently a judge ruled that her father can no longer have a conservatorship over her. So yeah, uh, the Free Britney movement was successful. She's finally free. I just saw a headline today that said she made a big announcement that all of her fans saved her life. So yeah, this is extremely topical. Weirdly topical. That's great. There was also, I think, something that spearheaded the Free Britney movement was that documentary made on A&E or something like that. Oh, yeah. Did you see that? I did. It was really good, but it was only like an hour long, so very palatable in terms of a Britney Spears documentary. But they kind of went into more detail. Like, she was just at a really rough point in her life. Like, she was fighting for custody of her children. Her marriage had fallen apart, and obviously other things were going on, and she just kind of flipped a switch. And unfortunately, she was under the microscope of all these paparazzi trying to sell photos of her. So they were only concerned about her photos not necessarily her well-being unlike me mike her hair did grow back though so she looks great today that's true i remember it was a pretty big deal the first time you shaved it all off but that's true (laughs) yeah (laughs) you made it work yeah almost as much paparazzi too (laughs) much fanfare (laughs) february 19th the blogging website tumblr is founded by david carp in new york now mike certainly you were on tumblr I was, Keenan. I was a Tumblr kid back in the day. I wasn't like a full-fledged Tumblr kid. Like, I didn't live on the site, but I did post from time to time. I reposted or reshared or whatever the Tumblr lingo was. And it's kind of a barren wasteland these days. I know for a while it was going to shut down and it, it didn't shut down, but Tumblr was kind of the big thing before Twitter really took over and just dominates all of the post and shares these days was tumblr just like electronic diary entries yeah kind of combined a bunch of different mediums like you could just make a text post you could make an image post essentially like if you took twitter and instagram and just made it one thing and then there were accounts dedicated to certain things like i followed one that only posted arrested development images or only posted beatles lyrics stuff like that so it it had dedicated pages as well if I remember correctly, the sorting of it, it was pretty miserable to try to navigate if you like found something and then there's a good chance that if you didn't reshare it onto your page, it would be pretty hard to ever find it again. Yeah. I remember it being very basic layout. Yeah, it was. It was easy interfaces for idiots like me to use. <laughs> That's good news. Thanks, David Carp. Yeah, I'm sure. How's that guy doing today? <laughs> David Fincher never made a movie about David Carp. On February 25th, the 79th Academy Awards were held. That year, Keenan, The Departed won for Best Picture and Best Director for Martin Scorsese. Interestingly, Keenan, that movie was Scorsese's first and only win in both Best Director and Best Picture categories. Wow, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, I was surprised by that too. I know it was his first win, but he's nominated, it seems like, every other or every third year for... A lot of great films, but hasn't been back on the um, winner's podium. (laughs) But he hasn't won again since, so (laughs) go figure. That's a good one. Who's in that one again? Matt Damon? DiCaprio? Everybody, (laughs) Keenan. Everybody. Yeah, it's a pretty big cast. Matt Damon, DiCaprio, Wahlberg, the who's who of of Hollywood. Want to know my favorite line from The Departed? I'd love to. Do you want to be a cop or do you want to appear to be a cop? Is that, is that a good Boston, Boston accent? accent? <laughs> yeah, was that good? Um, 
Define good. I could tell what you were doing. Was it better than my Ray Romano? Yeah, I mean, that goes without saying. That's yeah. true. That's the one end of the spectrum. <laughs> okay. Then, yeah, then it was a 10 out of 10 if that's the, if that's the scale. Okay, cool. <laughs> All right, Mike. This is your and my and everybody's favorite segment. Go ahead and belt it. We love this segment, Keenan. Boy, do we ever. Celebrity weddings, celebrity weddings. Ooh, celebrity weddings. That's pretty good, Mike. Thanks. On February 3rd, this one's a local story here, Mike. Jackass prankster Bam Margera weds Missy Rothstein in downtown Philly. You love that show, Mike. Jackass, was that one of your favorites? Jackass, Keenan, hell yes. And then, thank goodness for this wedding because we also got Bam's Unholy Union. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right? That show, yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Another Bam Margera classic. Yeah. You can't go wrong with these Bam Margera vehicles, Keenan. I really like this wedding because a lot of the time we see these celebrities getting married in exotic or whimsical places, and Bam stayed close to home and got married in downtown Philadelphia. I love it. Did this one last? I feel like he's had some pretty serious issues. There's no way they're still together, are they? Usually I look it up, but no, they're no longer <laughs> together. <laughs> I was going to say, we don't have the data on this for some reason, but I'm pretty sure Bam's in like a rough place right now. I don't think he's still with uh, Missy. Yeah, I really uh, genuinely wish the best for Bam because the last I heard, he had been actually kicked out of the cast for Jackass 4 because he kind of couldn't clean up his act. Yeah. Which, if those guys are asking you to not come around for that franchise, then it's got to be pretty... Uh, pretty dark so hopefully he you know he figures things out soon because he's a really entertaining guy that brings smiles to the faces of people all over the world love that guy hope he's okay <laughs> this isn't typical for us keenan but this is a follow-up to a previously discussed marriage on february 20th baywatch actress carmen electra carmen electra mike isn't that your childhood crush one of them keenan i had a lot <laughs> she divorces her rocker husband dave navarro due to irreconcilable differences after less than three years of marriage ah uh, hate to see it just wanted to make sure everybody following along at home had that noted yeah we needed that closure thanks mike <laughs> sure and then the final one of the season mike let's get sad celebrity deaths we're so sad these celebrities died. Oh, this one, Mike. You ready for this one? February 8th, Anna Nicole Smith, American model and Playboy playmate and tabloid fixture, dies of a prescription drug overdose at 39 years old. This is one of those deaths that I actually remember happening at the time. Yeah, it's a huge story. Yeah, we were in high school and... News circulated around the school that she had died. Obviously, a large population of prepubescent boys would be <laughs> the first to know about Anna Nicole Smith dying. But I didn't realize she was only 39 because, you know, she was in rough shape by the end of her life, unfortunately. And I remember thinking she was much older. And now it's like, I'm 31. So <laughs> only eight years, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> 
it just makes you think when you're 16 looking at the world and you think everybody's old as hell but now it's like oh she really wasn't that old that's very sad yeah r.i.p anna nicole smith and on february 24th keenan my wife abby's birthday oh happy birthday abby leroy jenkins <laughs> american composer and violinist also died he was born in 1932 so leroy jenkins was he from that <laughs> famous video game yeah, I have no idea who Leroy Jenkins, the composer and violinist, was, but I do remember Leroy Jenkins <laughs> yeah. from the viral World of Warcraft video from the early 2000s. I feel like that was one of the first viral videos ever. Yeah, it's one of the first I remember. Maybe right before YouTube became a thing, E-Bombs World, um, sites like that would have Leroy Jenkins, the Numa Numa guy, Star Wars kid. <laughs> oh, the Numa Numa guy. They were like the pioneers of the internet age. That's right. Yeah. It's great stuff. R.I.P. Leroy Jenkins. <laughs> yeah, rest in peace, Leroy. <laughs> One happy note to end our uh, celebrity deaths this week, Keenan. For our final episode, if you remember back to a few episodes ago, we discovered that Elliot Smith's death was misreported on onthisday.com. That's right. Out of curiosity, I followed up on that, and it has been corrected. Wow. That's a big victory for us, Mike. Mm-hmm. So it looks like my tweet really got to them. <laughs> well, didn't we threaten them on the podcast to, like, sue them or something? <laughs> we threatened some sort of action. I'm not sure if it was legal action or just uh, bad-mouthing them across our <laughs> humongous platform, but... I think we had an open invitation for anybody who worked there to come on the podcast and <laughs> yeah. apologize to everybody. Yeah. So I guess they want to avoid that, so they just changed it. Good they could not be reached for comment. <laughs> so getting back to the album, Mike, much like Fall Out Boy's older albums, this one is dominated by self-reflection. They relate most of the songs to intimate things happening in their lives at the time. In this album's case, it includes many of the things that have happened in the two years since the release of From Under the Cork Tree. That's right, Keenan. Things like mediocre CD reviews and criticism from a handful of critics and fans, a reflection on their breakout success and newly found fame and fortune, but also appreciation for their diehard fans. I did also notice a number of lingering themes that come up as well, things that we've seen in previous albums, things like struggling relationships both romantically and a very public falling out with longtime friends and supporters. There's also a lot of personal battles, like we saw in their previous albums. There's the pressure of show business, drugs and alcohol, depression. Now, Mike, there is a fun fact that I noticed and I wanted to share with you. We don't do it very often. Are you okay if I do that? Keenan, it's the season finale. Let's live it up and drink it down. <laughs> Anything goes this week, Mike. Anything goes. The album's title, Mike. Do you have any idea what the origin is? Um, if I had to guess, it seems like maybe a letter written by Vincent Van Gogh to his brother Theo in 1888. That's exactly right, Mike. What a great guess. <laughs> in the letter, he describes his renewed health and the positive effect that it had on his painting. It was originally written in Dutch, but it's been translated as, Be clearly aware of the stars and infinity on high then life seems almost enchanted after all. How about that, Mike? Not sure I know what it means, Keenan, but it's very beautiful all the same. What? It just means he's at an all-time high. <laughs> it was be clearly aware of the stars and infinity on high. Did I read that way wrong? Uh, no, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> 
What's with Van Gogh and stars, Keenan? Starry, starry night? Oh, you're right. Or starry night? I think the song starry, starry night. I think the painting is just called starry night. Dude's got a thing for stars. Don't ever ask Vincent Van Gogh to lend you an ear, Keenan. <laughs> Why not? What happened? Uh, he like cut his off or something like that. Oh, that's messed up. Yeah, poor guy. What a freaking weirdo. And speaking of starry night, Mike, it's now time to bring on the star of this week's show. She's an Olympic gold medalist in the sport of rowing from Boston, Massachusetts, by way of Chesterfield, New Hampshire, Tessa Gobo Zimmerman. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to discuss some pop punk. This is going to be a blast. So when I reached out to you and said, oh my God, Tessa, you have to join us for this podcast. I know you're such a huge pop punk fan. You immediately said, it has to be this album. Why this album? What is it about Fall Out Boy? What is it about Infinity on High? I mean, I think all albums really touch people differently and are emotionally loaded in different ways. And I think, you know, Infinity on High was certainly that for me in high school. Uh, I think when we when we first spoke, you sort of had a list of albums. And I was like, oh, this is how these guys do it. It was, it was a very cool peek behind your famous podcast. But uh, <laughs> it this one is such a great album. And it came out, I think, like you said, in 2007. I'm from Chesterfield, New Hampshire, like you said. So everything sort of came to us a little bit later than you you city boys. So I feel like I really associate this album with junior and senior year of high school. And Oh, wow. That late. Yeah, right? And I know I, know I bought the album because I remember the cover art, which was just very colorful for, on iTunes. And if you like cut and paste something onto iTunes, you can get the album art. So you're welcome, Fallout Boy. Were you into them before that or did you get really into them with this album? Yeah, I mean, I got really into them. I think I really enjoyed their music beforehand, but this was the first album that I knew front to back. And then wow. their next one I also really enjoyed. But it's interesting looking back now at the stuff that I interpreted from the album and what I think the artists were actually trying to say. So it was a lot of fun. That's cool. How did this album end up on your all's list? For me, Tessa, thank you so much for asking. I love Fall Out Boy, and it's kind of the opposite of you. This was a little bit, I would say, my Fall Out Boy drop-off point. Like, this was the last album of theirs that I did really listen to, and I didn't actually own it. It was just one that I picked up over the years. I've I've heard all these songs as the years have gone by, but it was, as we'll get into, I'm sure, like a bit of a departure from their previous sound bit more pop than pop punk or a bit more pop punk than punk and I didn't dislike it by any means but I was kind of at the age where for a tough guy like me liking Fall Out Boy or at least being a Fall Out Boy fanboy wasn't the coolest thing in the world so I think that kind of played a role into it as well because I do really enjoy these songs but I remember at the time I was like I've outgrown Fall Out Boy like I'm into cooler stuff now so yeah, they are poppy. This is a poppy album. I also think it's like, in a lot of ways, like a romantic album, which is not usually something that like a 16 or 17 year old boy is gonna gonna claim hard. Things might have mm. changed. But I think in 2006, 2007. I want to think I was a very romantic boy back then. Very so. romantic. <laughs> yeah, maybe not Mike, but definitely me. The prep yeah. was where all the romantic men went. Oh, yeah. Everybody knows that. 
Yeah, no, I'm the same as Mike. I feel like I know this album a lot less than the others. I feel like this is also where I started to tail off because their sound, while some of the songs were reminiscent of old Fall Out Boy, it just wasn't my sound anymore. So yeah, I'm with Mike. It, it was cool to rediscover though. I will say that the album is a lot better than I remember it. It's incredible how in high school, the years seem like decades in between. Like this is only two or so years after from under the cork tree which was my obsession for a very long time and then i'm like well that's the old me it's like dude it's it's been literally like two years this band is still they should be one of your favorite bands but i don't know you did a lot of growing in uh two short years mike i'm pretty sure that's when you hit puberty you evolved that's right yeah into a man that's right. into a man a, i became a fallout man <laughs> yes <laughs> uh okay Track number one, Thriller, featuring Jay-Z. That's intense. They have Jay-Z on their first song in this album. Yeah. First song in the intro right off the bat, you hear Jay-Z doing his little spoken word speech. I thought that was cool. I thought it was a little random. Like, it's featuring Jay-Z, but he just says a few sentences. I was a little confused by that. But I think this is very indicative of them being celebrities. They have these big cameos this is the point in time where they started collaborating with names like Jay-Z. I know that they were trying to put a song together with Kanye West. I know they mentioned Lil Wayne as an inspiration for this album. Like they were just expanding and they were getting all these big names to finally work with them. Uh, that's just the first instance of it. We've seen before how Fall Out Boy's albums usually start off with a sound effect. The dial tone on Take This to Your Grave, the cameras flashing on From Under the Cork Tree. Yeah. This one, the sound effect is just Jay-Z yammering about <laughs> anybody who didn't think you can make it, you're going to make it, etc. Yeah. I will say it is pretty cool to see Jay-Z on a pop punk album. I didn't really remember the song. So going into it, I was like, oh, man, like, I can't wait for the Jay-Z verse. And then <laughs> I got to the end and I'm like, OK, here it comes. He said, Fall Out Boy, F.O.B. And then the song just ends. And I was like, oh, yeah. man, like, there's no fire verse. Like. Again, I think he recorded his portion of it when he was like touring, so he couldn't really get in the studio and do anything much more than what he did. Yeah, I'm sure if he could, he was definitely going to record a rap verse <laughs> for this song. It was kind of just like a, hey, we're friends. Yeah. I'm on the album with you. Like, I respect what you're doing, which honestly, if Jay-Z respects what you're doing. Huge. Like, that's pretty solid. But Jay-Z didn't write any of it, or he just kind of got on the front end. Just kind of showed up for it. Yeah. Well- let me just say, Mike, before you continue to bash it, <laughs> this is my favorite song on the album. Is <laughs> Believe it? Believe it or not, it is. It is. And I'll tell you why. It's because, and I, I waited. I listened through the entire album. I reserved judgment. And then I went back to it because this one did remind me the most of older Fallout Boy. After the Jay-Z verse, there's that big heavy drop. And then at multiple points in the song, there's heavy guitar riffs. There's a really heavy breakdown bridge. And I was like, Okay, this is Fall Out Boy just doing their hardcore 
type of music that they used to do. This is their hardcore roots. And then it was pretty catchy in between. So I did like this song. I think re-listening to this album, this was my favorite song. I respect that. I don't think it's a bad song. I just thought the Jay-Z feature was lacking. Yeah. Coldplay did a remix of their song Lost, which featured a Jay-Z verse. It's one of my favorite Jay-Z verses, period. So I was excited for another like interesting collaboration like that. Or like Linkin Park, Jay-Z, Collision, Course, or whatever. But mm. Yeah, good point. Still, man, it is a good song, and you're right. It does echo back to, quote-unquote, old Fallout Boy. But I got a similar feel... As our lawyers made us change the name of the song so we wouldn't get sued. The opening track off of Cork Tree. Yeah. A bit of like a self-reflection of the band and where they are and who they are as people and their relationship with the public, their fan base. And it really is about like thanking their original fans, which is just an interesting idea and like theme we see throughout this album. The other part of this that was so bizarre is all of their names are very intense, right? But Thriller is directly related to Michael Jackson, perhaps the most famous pop star, for better or for worse. Yeah. There's also, like, a certain amount of cockiness to this album. Like, yeah, we've made it. Yeah. Very astute observation. I was actually trying to figure out why this was called Thriller, but I think you could be exactly right. I think they're saying that they're these big deals now. I hope they're, like, pumped about themselves to some extent. I think we might find out that they are. (laughs) (laughs) I agree with Tessa. I think it was a direct nod to Michael Jackson. I don't know. He had kind of always been famous, but that is really his masterpiece if you look back on it. And I was interested to see if that album was originally panned when it came out, because I know they reference how From Under the Cork Tree was met with a lot of three-star reviews. They said... There were threes across the board. Yeah. And now we're a cover story albums now in stores. Like now all the publications that pan them are using them to sell magazines. So, but I think Thriller was pretty much lauded from the time it was released. So no connection there. So glad I brought it up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that, Mike. There's also the line about all the poets come to life, fix me in 45. This album is just about 45 minutes in length, and Thriller was right around 45 minutes, too. So I thought maybe there was a connection there. Whoa, that's cool. Like 45 minutes of an album to reach your fans and help fix them or affect them or whatever. Yeah, that's cool, Mike. I always thought that the Fix Me in 45 had a couple different meanings. They talk about sitting on a couch and then being fixed in 45. And I thought that was a reference to a therapy session because that's how long it would take to fix them. And then you're right, the album is 45 minutes. So I was thinking maybe this album is also their therapy session. What do you think of that? That could be. 
I think you're probably right. It's probably the therapy session because I doubt they like waited to see exactly how long the album was or wrote the album's length according to that line. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> there were a ton of bonus tracks they left off the album, so maybe. God, yeah. This album is so long. <laughs> so many songs. It just didn't end. It's great. It is great, but it just didn't end. Track number two, The Takeover, The Breaks Over. The first thing I thought of this song, actually, when we got a couple of it in, one of the first lines was about choosing widow or divorce. Yeah. And it made me instantly think of Beyonce's song, Hold Up, which is about choosing jealous or crazy, also in the lyrics. And it kind of comes up over and over again. Whoa. And I just was like, these are both really bad options. Like, nobody wants <laughs> yeah. to have to choose either of yeah. these, which is very sort of fallout boy to be like, hey... You have a choice, but they both suck. Yeah. He's forcing her to choose. Yeah. So to me, whereas I think, you know, the public very much thought that this song was, again, sort of about being famous and dealing with the fame from their last album. I think it might be more about trust, you know, and trusting someone and, mm. you know, some of the, the dark things that can come from that. I agree. Yeah. I saw this as definitely a relationship that is probably in a bad place i thought it could potentially be about hooking up with an ex and the reason why i think that is because i get the sense that the girl in this song she acts like she's moved on until she encounters this guy again and then it seems like she can't resist him and he talks about oh people never change she won't be able to resist me i think the whole widow versus divorcee thing is she would rather he just be dead so she can move on and forget about him. Whereas if you just divorce somebody, they're still hanging around and then you'll yeah. be tempted to get back with him. So I was like, I wonder if this is about like two exes that bump into each other and they just can't resist hooking up again. Yeah. And where Beyonce's album was all about, I think her sort of this song in particular was about like Jay-Z had not been faithful and it was like, was she going to be painted as crazy or jealous? Yeah, right. I mean, I would prefer, I don't know which I'd prefer. Which would you prefer, Tessa? I was just thinking that. <laughs> that is like a good question. Like I can lean pretty hard into jealous, but I think I'd mm. go with crazy. Yeah, I could see you. I could see you going with crazy. What about you, Mike? Where would you lean? <laughs> I think I would choose jealous or crazy. I would rather be perceived as jealous than crazy, I think. <laughs> oh, Sorry. It's just, there's a motive in jealous. Crazy is just crazy. You're right. Yeah. Well, I probably would be a little bit of both, I guess. Yeah. Would be. You are a little bit of both, Mike. Thank you, Keenan. You're welcome. I like that Tessa sees a connection between a Beyonce song and this song because isn't the title actually like a reference to a Jay-Z song called The Takeover? Yeah, it is. Yeah. So there's a lot of weird connections here. And then the breaks over, that kind of reminds me of what you were saying, Keenan. Like maybe this was a couple that was quote unquote taking a break. But it's like they're not really because they're still hooking up or they're still like thinking of each other or resenting one another. So 
Exactly. Yep. That's exactly where I was going with it. Sometimes people take a break rather than just breaking up. And I feel like maybe that works from time to time, but usually the writing's on the wall. True that, brother. <laughs> or in the Fallout Boy song. Or in the Fallout Boy song. <laughs> and now, this was the fourth single. Let's not forget that. And there was a music video. Did you guys happen to see the music video? Okay. <laughs> the music video was very 2007. I very 2007. So um, good, though. <laughs> should I describe the arc of this music video? Please. Well, we start with Pete Wentz and his English bulldog taking a nap on the couch. And then we're clearly in dream state, right? But I think it's the dog's dream because you've got, you know, fire hydrants, bones, and then the band becomes, the, the band's there singing, of course, but then they sort of have cat heads and then you have like these sexy cat chicks. It was like the most rudimentary, hey, these hot girls are cats because they just had like ears and a towel. Meow. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, they also become steaks at one point. And then it's really, it brings it back. You know, there's these fans there and they're like, Fallout Boy, you've sold out. But then Pete Wentz's English Bulldog defends him and uh, barks a little. But they all knew that what the dog was saying was that like, you didn't sell out. You just changed as human beings. And then it was a very understanding party with, you know, mm. the angry mob, the band, the dog, the sexy cat ladies, the mailman. They were breakdancing mailman. Actually, That's it right. was a great music video when you break it down. It kind of had everything. Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting. When I saw the music video, I then thought back to the song and started thinking maybe this was about the fans all along. Like they were looking at the fans that gave up on them and hated them. And it's like, oh, well, you always come crawling back. Like you broke up with us, but you'll be back because you're our fans. I thought they could have been a shot at these sort of fake fans. I mean, maybe. Don't know. I mean, the fact that they put them in the video and made it a prominent theme in that makes it seem like it, it's definitely likely well they also put a dog in the video and i didn't think the song was about a dog but you know <laughs> that's true i did like how the angry mob of fans was so easily calmed like all the dog had to say was it's okay people change and then they're like oh you're right hemingway the dog and, and then they party with him yeah these yeah. guys still rock if a dog told me to change my point of view and i understood what it meant i think i would and tessa you have a dog right i do i do i have little max um and if Max literally started speaking to me, I'd be like, you're right. I should give you more peanut butter. <laughs> Aww. Aww. Max kind of has a similar like hairdo to Keenan. It's very uh, smooth on top. Very smooth on top. Yeah. He also loves my bald head. I've learned that one the hard way. He's a special dog. <laughs> or the fun way. However you want to look at it. <laughs> Track number three. This ain't a scene. It's an arms race. This is the second single on the album, 
This one was pretty big, if I remember correctly. Is that right, Tessa? Oh, for sure. Let me say this is the first song of me misunderstanding lyrics and just kind of going with it. Ooh, which misheard lyric? I just didn't know what an arms race was. So I was really? just like, they must be talking about a horse race or something else. <laughs> um, or like an arm wrestle. But anyways. People I, doing handstands and racing like that, like on their yeah, hands. Yeah, I just kind of kept going. <laughs> I didn't. I couldn't be bothered. But uh, Do you know yeah. what an arms race is now? Yes. Isn't it like who gets the war battle guns first i named it right that's what it is the war battle guns first yeah, yeah that's well, it's who, who gets the arm the armory first is it armory yeah. uh i think it's when countries try to stockpile weapons faster and it's like oh whoever has the most weapons got it got it yeah so it's basically what you just said we pretty much do that all the time it's got nothing yeah. to do with horse racing no america no. i think historically it's most referenced during the cold war when the u.s and russia were both trying to accumulate as many missiles and weapons as possible with really no need because at a certain point when a couple go off it's bye bye for everybody so it's basically just stockpiling these things and to a certain extent i think i agree with tessa because as a 17 year old a 16 year old i really didn't have any reference for what an arms race was either but i think in relation to the song they're kind of saying like in the same way that countries stockpile weapons as a form of greed or trying to feel like they're better than other countries that I think it's a reflection on quote unquote, the scene, like other bands and other artists trying to get into the business for greedy reasons. Like this ain't a scene. It's an arms race. They're comparing themselves to their peers at the time within the musical industry. Yeah. I think they're saying that, the music industry is ruining the scene. The scene is like a community, like the scene of pop punk. That's a community of people that's very close knit. Whereas an arms race is a competition. And it's like all these artists are just trying to accumulate all those things that you mentioned, like fame, money, more fans. It's a fight over just more stuff. And so I think they grew up in a scene when it felt like a close community. And now it just feels like a battle, basically. And that definitely plays into the music video. Oh, yeah. I think... Just so, did we all watch the music video? Oh, hell yeah. This might be my favorite Fall Out Boy music video. It's like, there's a lot going on. <laughs> there is a lot going on. But I do think there is, like, it picks up where it left off, right? Them on a stage, like, playing dance dance. And then it is kind of about them finding their community. And before we go further, I would just like to point out that I think if Fall Out Boy did this again, they probably would change some stuff bit problematic <laughs> when they're hanging out with a bunch of men of color rocking out and then joe knocks a 40 out of a guy's hand and the guy's reaction is to beat the bejesus out of joe i watched that and i cringed but i was like oh i guess that was 2007 and i wonder if they would do it differently yeah i thought the exact same thing and i think even like there was a newspaper cover written about what had happened and said like fall up boy kicked out of the hood or something like that and i was like <laughs> uh. yeah it definitely towed the line there were definitely some scenes that they would probably cut out today if they had to do it again there were some funny parts and there were some uh kind of interesting parts of this video though that i wanted to point out there was a reference to pete wentz's leaked nudes which is very topical for the times um also all the character cameos in the final scene at the funeral did you pick up on those pete wentz's 
date from the Dance Dance Music video, the girl from Grand Theft Autumn was in there, Mike. Did you see that? Mm-hmm. The girl with the studded belt and the miniskirt? Yeah. Dear Boy from Sugar We're Going Down? MTV. They had the MTV Moon Man? Yeah. There was so much. They just packed it all in. I thought that was very entertaining. I thought it was a great callback to their history as a band. My favorite part of the video is when Patrick Stump says, now you, and it's the vampire from yeah. the Little S16 Candles video. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of got nostalgic for like all the stuff these guys have made. Like They really have done a ton for like my life and pop culture, and it was cool kind of taking a look back on all of it with the guys in the band. Not only that, Mike, but the very final scene when, who was it, Pete wakes up from the dream? It's another dream! Another dream, yeah. These guys are obsessed with dreams. It's like Inception. They wake up from the dream, and they're late for their gig, and it's like old school Fall Out Boy playing in some gymnasium at a high school or something. Yeah, it's 2003 in Des Moines, Iowa. That's right. Definitely in a basement. Yeah. It was awesome. So it was like kind of them looking back on their career, like, wow, we went from this to literally like... The recording with the black artist was like a reference to, they were featured on Timbaland's album. Oh, yeah. So we essentially see them going from little BFW halls and schools in 2003 Iowa to being featured on a Timbaland album, Keenan. So it's uh, quite the come up, I guess. Quite the come up indeed. And we see some of the things that go along with their new celebrity status, like they're just partying in hotel rooms messing stuff up and my favorite part of the video when a bigger guy jumps on the hotel bed and launches pete out the window what you're afraid to say fat you have to say bigger guy bigger guy okay okay. he was fat curvier man i guess we can say if he had the mass to launch pete out of a window then um we can call him fat he's a fat so and he killed pete that was pete's funeral at the end that's right i mean pete's also kind of a little dude i feel like (laughs) <laughs> if, if i jumped on a bed pete might fly off yeah you can use window. that defense in court <laughs> yeah <laughs> any of us could throw pete out a window and before we move on guys this song also has the doppelganger this week whoa it's actually wow <laughs> i know you love the doppelganger mike this is actually a self-admitted doppelganger because they said that Parts of this song were actually influenced by Justin Timberlake's song, Senorita. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Oh. Yes. Yeah. I do. You know the part in the Fall Out Boy song. It's this part. And then Justin Timberlake's Senorita. I mean, it's this part. It feels like something's heating up. Can I leave with you? And then the ladies go, I don't know what I'm thinking about. Really leaving with you. God sing. It feels like something's heating up. Can I leave with you? And ladies, I don't know what I'm thinking about. Really leaving with you. Feels good, don't it? Come on. It feels like something's heating up. Come on. Can I leave with yeah. you? Yeah. I don't know what Good 
Isn't that crazy? It's pretty nuts. That It's pop, pop influence right there. And I also want to say, personal doppelganger, I don't believe it, guys, but people have said that I look like Justin Timberlake. I, I see it. Absolutely. Thank you. That's more accurate than the song Doppelganger, I'd say. <laughs> I'll take it. Track number four. I'm like a lawyer with the way I'm always trying to get you off. In parentheses, me and you. Ooh, that's spicy. hot song title this is a hot song and another song with lawyer in the title it seems to be their thing i feel like these guys should just go to law school i was thinking the same thing because later on the album there's a whole song written as though it were a court case (laughs) that's right these guys love uh laws yeah so tessa what's this song all about it's got some pretty dark lyrics, but I do think it's about love. I do think it's about, you know, finding love through hard times. There is the one lyric about, you know, making it through with hearts and wrists intact. Like, that's intense. But I do think it is, in fact, about love and getting through all of the bullshit in order to, you know, find somebody that you're passionate with. I thought this one was very difficult to really get a clear cut meaning for it like i was so torn because at times i thought like musically it's very happy it's very upbeat and like very uplifting but then like tessa was saying like some of the lines are really sad but i think i came to the somewhat same conclusion as you tessa like i think it's about love but like real love like it's not always gonna be rainbows and butterflies things are gonna suck sometimes and you're gonna have fights and you like I don't know. It's not perfect 100% of the time, but overall, it's kind of like worth it, I guess. I think the chorus is like everybody goes through a honeymoon phase and then it's like, well, what happens when that ends? Because it does end. Do you have what it takes to make it and to get through all these tough times together? I'm happy you guys are so positive about this song. What do you make of this line? We're the new face of failure. You got me there. Does that define love to you guys? Maybe your love. Maybe your marriages. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm not sure who the old face of failure was. I I don't know. But now it's us. When I was listening and reading the lyrics, I thought the exact same thing. I was like, oh, it's just, you know, it's about overcoming the hard times for your true love. But I couldn't get past a couple lines like that. And I also thought it was about, like Mike said, the end of the honeymoon phase. But it seemed like these two people couldn't get over the loss of that high. And I think it actually is the end of the relationship. So I thought it was like reminiscing about the good times, but ultimately moving on. I do think that would fit more, honestly, with like a lot of the other songs in the album and the themes that the album portrays. But it also like, it might fit in well with that music video they've got. Oh, the one in uh, Northern Uganda? That's pretty on brand for them, right? 
Yeah, it wasn't out of left field at all. No, totally not. Mike, were you expecting that? Um, no, I was not. This was <laughs> my wife Abby's favorite song. Like, she loves this song, and I was excited to rewatch the music video because it was like, I remembered most of the other ones, but not this one. So I'm like, oh, let's check it out. And wow, it is, yeah, it was for a good cause. It was to benefit invisible children. That said, I think they still could have made a video about the youth of Uganda without having the side plot that they did of a child being taken from his home and made to be a child soldier. Like, I mean, look, I know that stuff happens and it's awful and I don't want to sound like a, like, I don't want to hear about it kind of thing. I just thought it was almost exploiting. It was very forced. I, yeah. I would say maybe it was maybe exploiting the situation. I also just think it was very forced. Like when I listened to this song, I think they were like, we have to do something for a good cause. And it is a good cause. What, but it, it might not necessarily fit how they did it. Something doesn't fit. Yeah. Like they were in Uganda filming it with the Ugandan people. And I just thought it was odd to be like, hey, come be in our music video where we depict a very real life situation that could happen to you in like ruin you or you know kill you and uh then we'll just like fly home and release the music video and good luck with your life like that was kind of like a little icky feeling to me but yeah to lighten things up a little bit i do want to say that there's no way people in uganda are gathered around a tv <laughs> watching fallout boys dance dance music video together i thought that was a bit much ridiculous that was a bit much <laughs> track number five hum hallelujah Off the back of that uplifting Ugandan music video, another uplifting song. Here we go. Honestly, if my brain could pick a favorite song, this would be it. Hey! But with that said, your Uh brain (laughs) doesn't pick your favorite song. Your emotions and your feels do. So this is not my favorite song, but I do love it. It's catchy. It's got a heavy start, which is like a little more punk. And... It's a really great song. It's got some very clever lyrics, also some very dark lyrics. One of the ones I like is, I could write it better than you ever felt it. Also very cocky. But <laughs> when you look back at what this song is about, it's it's a very dark song. I agree. This one was a very close second for me. I also love this song. But you're right. This is apparently about Pete's infamous suicide attempt in his car in the parking lot of what was it, Best Buy, Mike? Yeah, Best Buy. He tried to overdose on Ativan and kill himself. So he saw that on Ativan Hale and on Corktree. And I didn't realize this song was a reference to that as well. But we see him uh, 
sing the blues and swallow them. So swallowing pills and um, trying to end it all, which for uh, a song as catchy as this is, like I was thrown off. I didn't realize that was the the message that he was getting at. But this is what we call a historical favorite. So historically, my favorite. Oh, this is historically your favorite. Nice. Yeah, I love the song too. Yeah, as the story goes, when he was trying to kill himself, the song Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen came on the radio and he stopped himself. So I think this was paying back Leonard Cohen in that song for essentially saving his life. That's why in the breakdown of the song, they literally just go into that exact song. But there is sort of this side story of this young relationship. And I was thinking, oh, I wonder if the reason that Pete Wentz tried to kill himself was because he was rejected by somebody that he thought was his young lover. He was falling in young love, was rejected, and then thought, oh, my God, this is the end of my life. I mean, where I do think that is a possibility, I also, you know, not to sound like too much of a fangirl, the man is... I don't want to say an artist, but like the words that he puts together is incredible. And I do think similar to talking about Van Gogh earlier, like there is a certain depression that comes, I think, with that artistic ability. But he also might have just gotten dumped. Could be. Now, Tessa, everybody overreacts at times when they're in middle school, high school. What was your middle school blow up moment? Oh, my God. I had so many. I was very emotional. <laughs> Let's pick um, the top one. Oh, God. I remember, look, your brain is not working correctly. And as as Keenan knows, but Mike might not, I have a twin brother, right? He's my only sibling. And there was just like, he was kind of chill, not very competitive. And I remember one time he finished the ice cream. And I think the way I reacted was I slammed the like freezer door shut and it just like came apart. And oh. it was like, I was like the same size I am now. Right. So I was like five eleven, 170 pounds. And I just like slammed the door and I was like, well, I am going to pay for that later. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was a pretty solid overreaction in middle school. I think high school, there was much more emotion involved and you like sort of have the ability to hold things in a little bit better than I think in seventh grade but yeah I was I was colorful I'm like afraid to have kids because of what a pain in the butt I was (laughs) oh that'll be an exciting day what was your most overreactional moment either of you I never threw a freezer door off its hinges (laughs) but you're just not strong enough to do it yeah exactly (laughs) Like, Jesus Christ, like... It was cookies and cream. Oh, damn, yeah. If it's cookies and cream, that's like a mortal sin. Yeah. Cookies and cream is my favorite. I'm really just glad that you took your revenge on the freezer and not your brother, because it sounds like you were in, like, a blind fit of rage, and he really could have, like, gotten it. (laughs) Oh, God, he really could have. Maybe a black eye, just dislocate something, but... If I can relate mine even closer to Pete Wentz, I remember my middle school relationship that ended that I thought was the end of the world. It was Rachel Lovelidge in fifth grade. She broke up with me and boy, did I put quite the sassy away message on my AIM later that day. And uh, yeah, it turned some heads. It was very emotional. And I remember the next day in class, she was like, 
like why did you do that like we're in fifth grade and i broke up with you and i was like oh, okay that's fair <laughs> she was like what don't be such a brat do you remember what the away message was <laughs> i think it was something like going outside for a while can't sit around anymore i'll start to cry or something like that <laughs> that is that's solid yeah it was good it was really good oh man i didn't have any physical freakouts like uh tessa because i'm not strong enough to do anything of that nature yeah and or you could just keep control of yourself like a normal human being mm, let's go with not strong enough <laughs> this is a this is gonna sound so bad well, I cannot wait. This was a self-inflicted uh, freak out, but I was very young, not high school, because as we know, I've only ever had one true love, my beautiful wife, Abby. So no uh, awful fifth grade breakups for me. But I think I was eight or nine and I was playing Pokemon Blue oh. and I was at the final four and the batteries on my Game Boy died. Oh. And for whatever oh, no. reason, it the last save point, like, I didn't save it. It was just, like, it was a very long time ago, like, a very, in the game, like, a very long time ago that I had saved. And I just felt like so much hard work I had put into this game had just gone to waste. And I remember, like, I was in the dining room. And I just took the Game Boy and slammed my head like over and over, like oh. stupid, stupid, oh, no. stupid. You didn't save your game. <laughs> and I think my parents were really upset. They're like, "What are you doing?" Because I was not that type of kid. But once I explained it to them, they understood why I reacted that way. It was a lot of hard work down the drain. I mean, if anybody's played that game, that's totally understandable. That game was work. I identify with that one too. What kind of what color Game Boy Color did you have? Uh, so I think it was actually my blue Game Boy Pocket at the time. Oh. Yeah. I had a puce green, like that that very green color. And then Andre, oh, my yeah. brother, had the teal. Nice. It was, it was pretty hip. It's very hip. My Game Boy Color was yellow. Mm. Keenan, did you have one? Yeah, mine was blue. Mm. But yeah, kids do weird things. And that's part of growing up. Track number six, Golden. Ooh, another fun, upbeat song, guys, right? Yeah, it's quite the follow-up to that last song. I saw a lot of, and I, I kind of agree with it on the internet. Is this a Fallout Boy song, or is this Patrick Stump just playing some piano and singing a Woe Is Me little ballad? I think the latter, yeah. yeah. It is definitely the slowest song on the album. I think it's more self-reflection about being a celebrity, isn't it? So what, golden? So the golden rule, right? Treat others as you want to be treated. That's right. And this is kind of their new perspective as these famous guys. Like, people treat them differently. People think that they have everything figured out. And we, as the general public, have the right to criticize and condemn them when, in actuality, they say that their lives are gold-plated. They may look shiny and pretty on the outside, but 
underneath it all, they're like everybody else. Like they have real emotions and things aren't perfect all the time. So what we say hurts or can affect them. The golden rule is all about how you treat other people. But what they're saying is they just want other people to treat them differently. Treat others the way you want to be treated. They're doing what they love, but they're treating the general public the way, you know, like we respect you or creating this art for you. And here's the general public coming back being like, oh, you sold out. Oh, this is all pop and very superficial. Yeah. And it's like if they treat their fans in a decent way, how come they're not also being treated decently? So, yeah, it's sort of a rare human moment for them, I think. I have a fake tattoo line for this song. Fake tattoo line? Ooh, yeah. Does that mean you have a real one later? You'll get like a henna tattoo right now? Well, so here's the thing. It's our last episode of the season, so I figured I'd take some liberty with this. But on our Hello Goodbye album, I had two choices, and I didn't end up getting the tattoo from their song Two Weeks in Hawaii where... Forest sings, I'd hate for her to not want me around her daughter. Yeah, I, I think I that. went with another one. Yeah, you went with your family's rad. Right. Wait, is this the one where um mothers what is it? Mothers cry. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Absolutely, ah, Tessa. This you. song has the perfect compliment tattoo to that line. All of the mothers raise their babies to stay away from me. <laughs> so just get those together. You should yeah. do that. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Fake tattoo, nice. New. Uh, Those are my fake tattoo lines, guys, not the real ones. A new segment we're uh, introducing in our season two finale, the fake tattoo segment. Perfect. Just those lines are so similar where it's like children hating the lead singer of this band. True. It's pretty intense, right? Like yeah. mothers. I, it's also like it's giving them a lot of like credit, right? Like. I don't think anybody actually cares if their like children are listening to Fall Out Boy, but I could be wrong. Mike's parents cared. Some would argue my parents cared too much at times, Keenan. <laughs> it's almost as if they loved you or something. Weird. Track number seven. Funks murmurs. <laughs> Did I miss some letters here? You're right. They shortened that title. Oh, that's... Oh, sorry. This one is Thanks for the Memories. Yeah, I forgot they shortened this one. Yeah, here it is. Looking forward to the future. Is it like reference to text chains when you shorten, like, what is it, T9? T9. T9, remember when you'd like shorten the words because you couldn't be bothered for vowels? Is that what this is referenced for? And it was just autocorrected for you? Yeah. It could be that, Tessa. I thought this was a reference to their record companies asking them to shorten their titles because they were always way too long. So they're like, oh, screw you. We're going to shorten it down really tight. I like that better. (laughs) <laughs> or it could be T9. 
Because could be T9 was big back then. I do remember T9. In reading about the title, I realized we're not going to do a cooking it up for this word, but the word disemvowed was used to describe removing the vowels in these words, which I had never seen before and I never want to see again because it so closely resembles disemvowed. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I thought for a second you did say disemvowed. I was like, ooh. No, disemvowed with a V. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's quite the word. Yeah. That is a that is a word. So Tessa, Keenan, surely you love this song. I do, I do. Um, it's is this the first single? No, this is the third single, Tessa. So did it go? This ain't a scene. Nope. And then the what was the first one? Oh, the first we'll single. Get to it. it sucks. It's probably your favorite song. <laughs> yeah. How dare you? <laughs> the carpal tunnel of love. Oh yeah, no, yeah. I actually have a lot of beef with. Okay, anyways, uh, so this song, I think you know, it's got a pretty classic, solid chorus, right? That's poppy. It gets you going. I think it's about still having feelings for someone, but they're not necessarily good feelings. They're like, I have feelings for you, so I'm gonna get revenge. I'm gonna like hook up with somebody else, and they're gonna be better than you, and I'm gonna let you know about it. So it's like kind of to me does seem very like high school college like now i'm like oh that means you still care as opposed to just not caring you know yeah. so i do think it's it's definitely an intense emotional song he tastes like you only sweeter only mm. better it's just <laughs> better this new person so that's pretty uh it's pretty savage it's pretty dark according to fallout boy lore this song was written about their ex-friend Christopher Gutierrez. Mike, do you remember Chris Gutierrez? Yes. Uh, hey, Chris from Grenade Jumper on Take This to Your Grave. That's right. So apparently, and I don't know if this is right, Tessa. I what think, did he do? What did Chris do? So <laughs> let me enlighten you. So there was a big falling out back in the day. Chris was one of their best friends. One of their closest supporters was at every gig. It's basically like a roadie. Super tight with the band. Was actually in a couple old bands with Pete Wentz and other guys from Fall Out Boy. And then there was this like very public, infamous falling out between Pete Wentz and Christopher Gutierrez. And allegedly, Christopher Gutierrez is the one who leaked Pete Wentz's nude photos. And he was talking smack about Pete Wentz all over his blog. Pete Wentz was talking smack on his blog. And so apparently, they wrote this song about him. And they were saying... You know, all these things. And there are a lot of very direct references to things that happened in their past. I mean, I kind of like that it's about a friendship more than a romantic relationship. That's so much heavier. Can you imagine just putting like your old best friend on blast like that? I'm also like, how did you get your best friend's nudes? But, you know, well, like... We all have our friend's nudes. We all have <laughs> our friend's nudes. Yeah. Look out for the Instagram post for this episode. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh, creepy. <laughs> Time to reveal some dirt. Okay. Anyways. Uh, I'll take the third route here and say that I think you're both right. I think there's some personal meaning behind this song for the band, obviously. But as we see, it's also about one night stands and hooking up with an old flame and maybe being completely over them and hating them emotionally, but physically still crawling back to them. And... That made me wonder, it seems like this is happening more than once. So can you still call it a one night stand if you hook up with this person more than one night? Whoa. I think it's called like 
backsliding if it's somebody that you used to date. Damn. And you like okay. broke up with them and then you sort of booty call them or you like meet up at a bar. Like, I think it's backsliding. Is that really the term? I think it was in a New Girl episode, like a long time. Oh, yeah. Maybe you're right. I think that makes more sense because to me, one night stand seems like somebody that you didn't previously know, like a random person that you just meet out somewhere. But mm. there's less care or revenge. It's just about like having fun as opposed to leftover feelings. Yeah. I just always loved how Pat Stump sings one night stand like i just always <laughs> laugh at that part he's got so much is it vibrato or like the yeah. it's a very distinct sort of like up and down it's cool it's i think it's like what he's known for i should oh, yeah. probably have figured out what the word was <laughs> no you're right and but we said before like the way he sings there's a lot of lines that you might not even really catch without looking up the lyrics so yes when i listened to this in my younger years I didn't hear all the words, but I always heard One Night Stand. I'm like, oh, what's this song about? <laughs> that was one that always like stood out, yeah. Yeah. And then the music video, Tessa. Oh, there was so much happening in the music video. Uh, we have some chimps. When I watched this music video, I was like, this was probably a lot of fun to film because there are just like chimps running <laughs> around the whole time. Yeah. I was trying to figure out if most of them were even real chimps. There's definitely one... Very fake chimp. The one who's like Ugh. playing the drums and trying to hook up oh, with Pete yeah, yeah, girlfriend. Yeah. 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 The one that's like caressing, like creepy. Yeah. I didn't like that. <laughs> I was weirdly into that. So yeah, we have, we have Kim Kardashian in here. It definitely references the sex tape that she just got famous for. And whatever they're portraying, they did just get famous and they're dealing with like the rise to fame. I can't get over the amount of product placement in these music videos. I just don't remember. It was it ridiculous. The same way. Like, do you guys remember Tag Body Spray? Yes. Like, that was I remember for it. A yeah. Hot sack. Yeah. I remember it because it was the one that you would spray it on, then all the girls would just, they'd be like magnets to you. Wasn't that Tag? Oh, I think you're thinking of Axe. Axe. Oh, the Axe spray. effect. Shit. Maybe you're right. Yeah. But no, the same idea. Like, is that, that's not. That's not what people use for deodorant, unless you're in eighth grade in 2006. Back then it was huge, um, yeah. We did. The locker rooms just smelled like an yeah. aerosol can. Yeah. It was oh great. My God. Yeah, now it's just used for, like, covering up the smell of marijuana in dorms. You would know better than we would. Oh, God. What a life. Uh, so I think the one beef I had with this music video, I think, was at the end when he, Pete Wentz just destroys his guitar and they like all oh, destroy the stage and but it was out of jealousy and i wish and i don't even know why i feel so strongly about this i wish it was just out of destruction yeah. like it would have been more punk it was just like we're gonna destroy some stuff now as opposed to oh kim's hanging out with that chimp so true what'd you all think sorry that was very in-depth <laughs> no i appreciate that that was very thorough i realized <laughs> i don't think i would like working with chimpanzees it kind of creeped me out like <laughs> They were kind of mean chimpanzees, like they weren't very nice. And my big takeaway was, I thought it was Kim Kardashian upon my first reviewing, but is it not Kim? No, no, it is. I'm just saying, oh. like she has changed dramatically. Like, oh yeah, in the looks department, because yeah. I'm like, that's is that Kim Kardashian? But I didn't recognize her because they never showed her butt. <laughs> yeah, true. Mm. She was always sitting down. <laughs> exactly. I hear so. that. But also, Pete Wentz clearly just. Wrote that in the music video so he could make out with Kim Kardashian. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it says in the script here that we make out or something? <laughs> okay, well, I guess well, it's in the script. 
That's what the script says. You gotta follow through on the script. You're an actress, right? Yeah, okay. Tag body spray and Nokia cell phones. It was like this slide phone. Yeah. And what is it, a Tahoe? What kind of car was that? Oh, that yeah, the Chevy got, Tahoe. Like, way <laughs> yeah. too long of a close-up on. Yeah. It's crazy how it feels like so in your face when it's just like, here's a brand. There was no hiding it. And I think that's a great way to make money. But that is kind of selling out, right? Definitely like, selling out. Well, the whole point of the video, I think, is they're pulling shots at music executives and show business. And they're like, okay, these guys are all chimpanzees for, you know, making us do all these crazy things. And then all of a sudden there's all these like product placements. I'm like, well, you guys are the f***ing chimpanzees. And they do it in other music videos too, or I wouldn't be like, I don't know. Yeah. But anyways. Yeah, you're right. There was a couple funny parts, like when the chimp texts, this band is whack and I should have gotten panic or something like that. Like, oh yeah. Thought that was amusing. That was funny. Yeah. yeah. Track number eight. Don't you know who I think I am? Great title. Really good title. It really is poking fun at themselves, I think. I have to tell you, I misheard this song so drastically, the lyrics to it, that I don't think I'll ever truly be able to come back from it. Ooh. There's the one line, um, we only want to sing you to sleep, your bedroom's speakers is the line. And I thought it was your bedroom's biggest worry. We only want to sing you to sleep, your bedroom's biggest worry, you know? And those are very different meanings. So I think this song's kind of, it's kind of a wash for me because I've just been like so attached to it in a different way. So, but I do, I do enjoy it. What do you guys think? I think that misheard lyric would actually make this song better. Me too. It would make the meaning even more over the top of what I think it is. Because this song I think is all about just the general negativity of the world around them, what they're experiencing, which I think probably comes from their fans turning on them. Yeah. And so if it's your bedroom's biggest worry, then that would just speak even more to the fact that everybody is super negative about them. I can see that. I do think it's like a lose-lose, damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of scenario. Like the one line that stood out to me was, we're walking the plank on a sinking ship. And so it's like, there's really nothing you can do to see your way out of the situation. Uh, nothing you can do to make these people happy. Like, you can't win, essentially. All they want to do is try to entertain people. That's all they've ever wanted to do. But they get all this backlash. So they're trying to figure out, okay, should we just give up? Like, if you're walking the plank on a sinking ship, that's basically the end of you. That's you just giving up. So they're saying, what's the point of making music and being famous if everybody just hates them? Obviously, way more self-reflection it's a self-reflection album it is i did love the chorus though chorus was super catchy this was one of my top songs for sure now tessa i got a question for you as an olympic athlete as a very public figure oh yes so public extremely public (laughs) have you ever had negativity quite like this maybe not to this scale 
But have you ever had people rooting against you? Have you ever had flack from the fans? This is interesting, actually. Uh, Rowing, you know, very near and dear to my heart. Probably not one of the more public, well-known Olympic sports. But I do remember there were some comments on, like, a local news station just about how I looked like a man. And it was in 2016, and they were like, somebody wrote, like, this woman looks like Caitlyn Jenner? What is yes. the woman's name? Caitlyn yeah. Jenner, yeah. Yeah, and I, I remember being insulted, but in all reality, Caitlyn Jenner's beautiful. So, like, jokes on them. Was this, like, people commenting online? or It was just on a picture on, like, a local New Hampshire news segment. And I remember it, like, really hurting my feelings. Jeez. But then, like, upon, like, later reflection, I look at all of the people that, like, it was, like, one jerk, right? Yeah. And I look at all of the people that came to my defense like people who who knew me because new hampshire is not that big and people who didn't and i'm sort of like it was a moment where i'm like wow i'm really glad i'm not that really in the public spotlight to some some degree like it was like a moment of my life that i worked hard for but it wasn't super public the media stuff was hard yeah so i do sort of I was certainly no fallout boy, but one negative comment did sort of rub me the wrong way. That's so wild. Threw me for a loop. And I can only imagine if it's like people that you thought cared about you, your fans that are then coming in being buttheads. (laughs) Freaking buttheads. I'm sure that definitely is like a way scaled down experience, but it is interesting. Like people go online and they don't, identify themselves and they feel like they can say whatever they want and it's like oh who cares they won't see this or they won't care and it's like well sometimes they do and sometimes they do yeah yeah if i bash fallout boy in a tweet i'd probably be like haha like who cares but i don't know they're people too and it's like that's wild like i've never really gone online with the intention to just like pile on somebody which i feel is like a popular thing these days Yeah, and there was also just, like, so many layers to it, too, right? Like, who are you trying to insult? Like, how are you trying to do it? Like, it's just, like, it's just messed up. I don't really have a lot of respect for anger on the internet. But, uh, yeah, you know, it is, that was an interesting question that I wasn't expecting. Boom. Sometimes I hit you with the hard stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. Screw that guy. You're, like, a hometown hero that the community should rally behind, and he's just, like, I'm guessing it's a guy because it's usually guys. It was. It was a guy. (laughs) Had to be a guy. And you know what? Caitlyn Jenner, if I was half the Olympic athlete they were, which I think they won several medals and I've just got one. So that guy's just a joke. (laughs) Let's move on. I will go on record as saying you don't look like a dude. So there you go. (laughs) Thank you. It's the official opinion of our podcast. Well, Tessa, not unlike Fallout Boy, you did not walk the plank of the sinking ship. You overcame it. I did. Just like they did. Boom. Track number nine, the afterlife of the party. <laughs> Good one, Fallout Boy. <laughs>
Okay, this one is my favorite. <gasps> this one's your favorite? Whoa. This one's my favorite. Whoa. And I don't want it to be, but it is. Sometimes you can't control it. It comes from your heart, right? You can. It's the feels, right? It's so feels. it's like the verses. Okay, but the chorus... It just, it gets in there. Yeah. It gets in there emotionally, the feels. And I do think, you know, this is, I think, the most romantic song on the album. A lot of it's about love, but it's about having to give up love for Hollywood and to follow your dreams. That chorus of cut it loose, watch you work the room, like the idea of somebody being that infatuated with you that they're like, you know, watching you at a party and impressed at how you sort of work a room. And as a 16-year-old, 17-year-old girl, that's very... That's romantic. And now as a 30-year-old, it's a little bit stalkery. And you're like, well, that's not necessarily what you need in a life partner or even want. But then the drama of it was just so intense. So I just, I hear that chorus. It's so well done. This is my favorite song. And I love Hum Hallelujah. I wish that was my favorite song. But this one makes me feel the feels. I agree with Tessa's sentiment that it shouldn't be your favorite song. But I respect that it is. Wow. Just kidding. Yeah, the young Hollywood line is is interesting. Again, we see their newfound fame. They're putting their love on hold, their lives on hold to try to chase this dream where they're a stitch away from making it and a scar away from falling apart. So they're really teetering on this line between success and failure. It says, young Hollywood is on the other line. Her nose runs ruby red, deaths in a double bed, singing songs that could only catch the ear of the desperate so in that little stanza i thought of like we talked about it briefly on the dashboard episode but you know hollywood can ruin lives too and i guess it was the line her nose runs ruby red but i thought of judy garland and how she passed away at the relatively young age of 47 from a drug overdose so oh really yeah it's just like the underbelly of hollywood where she's famous for this amazing movie these incredible songs but she lived a sad and depressing life when Hollywood was done with her. They kind of just left her out there to quote unquote die in a double bed. So it's not always glamorous. So according to Tessa, he's giving up this relationship for the Hollywood life. So it sounds like it's probably not even worth it. Oh, it's definitely worth it. (laughs) Okay. Oh, is it? I don't know. True love, man. For Hollywood. Is it true love though? Or is it just a fling? Uh, if it's just a fling, go for Hollywood. But true love, man, you made a mistake. Yeah. I've had true love. I haven't had Hollywood. Good point. Not yet. Not yet. Maybe next season. Keep this podcast going. <laughs> yeah. Track number 10, The Carpal Tunnel of Love. Tessa, this was the first single, believe it or not. What? Really? Yeah. No. Oh, God. That was an interesting choice. I thought the same thing. I actually couldn't believe this was the first single. I was shocked by it. Did not remember it. 
I love this album, so I don't want this to come out the wrong way. But, like, if I never see this music video again, that's okay. I don't really understand what this song is about. There are aspects of it that I think are, you know, it's the only song with, like, punk screaming in it. So I think there are aspects of it that are Fallout Boy. But, yeah, I don't want to say it's my least favorite because I love them all. But Fallout Boy, interesting choice. I had no recollection of this song in general, let alone the fact that it was the first single. I think it was surpassed by pretty much every other single that you still hear on the radio to this day. Yep. That said, I also like that it features Pete Wentz screaming, Tessa. I wish there was more of that on this album. And this is really the only one where he uh, lets her rip. In general, I think we have another song about being miserable all the time. It's just not being happy with anything. Yeah. I thought it was possibly a follow-up to Don't You Know Who I Think I Am. But in this one, they're admitting that they're just as sad and negative as what they perceive the world around them to be. And they're admitting that the celebrity life isn't all that it's cracked up to be. I also interpreted like this song is about highs and lows. And even when the highs are so high, the lows are still just looming there. Yeah, it's pretty depressing, actually. There's a great line. You'll put your eyes to the sun and say, I know you're only blinding to keep back what the clouds are hiding. So it's like, what a twisted way to think about a sunny day. Like you're just shielding the clouds from being overcast. And (laughs) like sun is essentially just a distraction from. (laughs) Yeah. Like, rain and gloom. That's as dark as you can get. Like, the sun is the happiest thing in the world, literally. Well, not literally in the world. It's the happiest part of life. And they're like, oh, yeah, it's just this thing that gets in the way sometimes. Yeah, Yeah, it's kind of funny. There's a line, throwing stones at a glass moon. Like, they're basically admitting that they're just hypocrites, right? I was thinking of glass windows, like throwing stones at a glass... Glass houses. Is that what the saying is? Yeah, throwing stones at glass houses. People who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Yes, and then they're throwing it at the moon, which is even more so. Whoa. It's even yeah, bigger than I'm that. So they're saying that they're just the yeah. biggest hypocrites. Of all hypocrites. I don't know. It's interesting. I think they're just admitting that they're also as negative as the things that they typically call out as negative. What a fun song, guys. <laughs> Woo, yep. What a single. Speaking of fun, the music video. Wow, what a music video. Oh my god. I had to force myself to watch that. So, it's a cartoon. I learned that it's the Happy Tree Friends. Does anybody know what that is? No. Mike? You guys don't remember that? So, no. I never watched them, but it was like a web series back in like the same time the Numa Numa guy was doing his thing. <laughs> well, yeah, that was this time period. Yeah, happytreefriends.com was like... Essentially what the music video was, just these cartoons of these cute animals that just died horrific deaths, and I guess people found humor in that. I mean, the animation was good, it was interesting, it was grotesque, but yeah, I don't know, it kind of paired well with the song in that, like, I wouldn't choose this as my lead single or my lead music video compared to what else I came up with. 
but um, I don't know. Oh, so you liked it is what you're saying? No, I, I didn't understand any of it. I didn't understand the reasoning behind any of it. I don't think it's the... I mean, I don't want to say I don't think it's the worst song because it's not my favorite. But I do think that was popular then. Sort of like the the happy-go-lucky animation, but then the dark side of it. You yeah. know, like, hey, we're going to show you the dark side up front. It would fit in perfectly with all the other... Like, remember Psycho Bunny? Yes, I do. The little pink bunny that would just be like, I threw up in my mouth a little bit. <laughs> What? It was like all over shirts and yeah. magnets. It was like Hot Topic kind of stuff. Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. That probably fit right in. The irony of a cute thing doing something awful. Yeah. Track number 11, Bang the Doldrums. Got my tattoo line. Whoa. Oh my God, Tessa. <gasps> and I do think I am the most likely one here to get a tattoo. Well, so. I think we're all probably going to get a matching tattoo, right? I'm down. Say the word. I'm down. Wait, Mike. Wait, before you start. Yeah, your tattoo line's also in this, Mike? Mm-hmm. <gasps> so. Okay, if it's the same one, all three of us are getting a tattoo. I'm down. All right, well, okay. I don't necessarily want to get. You two are going to bail, but I'm down. I'm going to bail, but I will I not will bail. Say... I will not bail. Tessa will do her line first, but this is also my favorite song on the album. Not my Whoa. historical favorite, but my new favorite. Oh. Yeah. Uh, with good reason. It's a great song. I really like this one. And so, Tessa, you do your tattoo line, and then we'll see if they match up, because that would be pretty wild. Oh, my God. This is literally a life-changing moment. I think they might match up, but I don't want to get my hopes up. Okay. Tattoo line. Best friends, ex-friends till the end, better off as lovers, and not the other way around. No, they don't match. Damn it! Ah! No. That would have been so cool. I know. Tessa, you should have let Mike go first, and then you would just lie and say his, and then we would have had to get tattoos. Are you kidding? Mike was the one supposed to lie. He's the one who knows how to do this. But he's the one who's against the tattoo. I can't get best friends till the end tattooed on me. Why not? Better off as lovers. Yeah. All right. Do you want to hear my tattoo line? Maybe Not really. Let's hear your stupid one. Go ahead. Maybe you'll want to get mine tattooed on you. All right, maybe. Look, honestly, if the three of us were to get a tattoo, I I would do it. So Tessa, I did like yours, by the way. That was good. Thank you. No, it is a good line. I'm sorry. I just I can't give it too much credit because I didn't choose it. Yeah, that was mean, Mike. What was mean? Saying I'm not gonna get two best friends till the end, ex lovers, friends, or whatever. That's a great line. But go it ahead is. It's my favorite song, Tessa. <laughs> <laughs> what's your What's your tattoo line? Mike? Yeah, let's hear it. My tattoo line, the tombstones were waiting, they were half engraved, they knew it was over, they just didn't know the date. Whoa. I mean, that is good. Like, holy cow, man. Yeah. See, to me, that's too dark to put on my body, but... Oh, yeah. It's incredibly dark. It's good. I like it. I would probably want to get it somewhere where nobody would really see it, because it is really dark, but... 
Yeah, that one's heavy. Where would you get it? Oh, man. I... Where are you going to get yours? Let's get it in the same spot. Oh, I would definitely get it around the thigh. Almost like a garter. Okay, then thing. I'll get it a garter around my thigh. Perfect. And also, again, Abby's probably the only one that's going to see that unless you're like a Speedo at the beach guy. He is. Yeah. And even then, she doesn't see it that often. So <laughs> <laughs> Only on Wednesdays. Don't you guys <laughs> sleep in like full shoulder to toe outfits? Yes. Separate rooms. Oh, definitely. Separate beds. They have two twin beds next to each other. Long john slippers, the whole the whole uh full nightcap. Yeah. Nice. But I don't know. I just love that line because I do always think of that when I see gravestones that maybe it's like a husband and wife or a family plot where they've planned ahead. It must be weird seeing your name and your birth date and just waiting to fill out that dash. Oh yeah, that's true. Death date. I don't want to say it's a healthy way to think about death, but it is an interesting way to just like accept that it is coming and know that you want to spend the rest of your life the rest of your death i don't we're getting kind of my chemical romance up in here but uh in a in a specific place it's crazy it's like that impending consequence that's coming for all of us like the only thing we don't know is what day it's going to be we all know it's going to happen which is kind of like sad but maybe comforting well maybe in our lifetime they'll find a cure for death Mm, yes that'll be healthy and then we'll all just live forever just piled on top of each other alive though alive well by then we'll be living on mars so Mm, yes with charlie kelly (laughs) shout out charlie kelly he's gonna be our pilot there the astronaut cosmonaut (laughs) yeah whatever thing that's right (laughs) smart man (laughs) okay back to this song tessa what do you make of this one oh man i'm not sure i really got past my tattoo line it's such (laughs) a good line but i do think it's about a dysfunctional relationship It was almost too passionate and they keep trying to make it work as friends, but then they can't get past the such good times. But there's a reason why they're ex-lovers and not lovers. Did I read somewhere that this is about a specific relationship? I also read it was about Pete's on again, off again girlfriend at the time, Janae White. And it was exactly that. It was two people who probably started out as friends and then became lovers and then didn't see eye to eye, broke up and... It's just this like cycle that you can't escape. I don't know about you two, but I've never been able to stay friends with an ex. There's too much there. I identify with the like, let's be friends. Wait, we can't be friends. There's a reason why that we were more than friends and then it didn't work out. I would say I am friends with a couple of my exes, but I don't know. It's probably not the healthiest friendships in the world. Or you're just a more evolved human being than me. Mm, I would argue that. I would too. I think a lot of it has to do with whether or not you were friends to start with. So in this case, I think it might be like they were always lovers and they can't see themselves as anything but lovers and in no longer being lovers are also ex-friends. But if you started as friends, tried it out, didn't work, I think there's a greater potential to be able to return to that. But a little bit more complicated with all the dirty things you did with one another when you were together. <laughs> Dirty things. Those dirty, dirty, dirty sinful things. things. Oh, man. <laughs> There's your Catholic guilt creeping in again. Yeah, it is. This is the most Christian podcast I've ever been on. <laughs> Thank you. It's definitely top uh, <laughs> Definitely top three. That's what we should target, man. We're not really cracking the charts. We should just make it a Christian podcast. You really gotta, yeah, just lean in. I've been trying just to. do a Reliant K episode every week. I like it. I also really like this song because... It reminds me of pirates with the, they say, yo, ho, ho. <laughs> they do, yeah. Yes. 
pretty fun. Is that why this is your yeah. favorite song, Mike? Because of the Yo Ho Ho's? I love Pirates of the Caribbean ride at Disney World, so I just love this song. Nice. Okay, cool. I do love that this is your favorite song. That gets me pumped. Yeah, I don't even think I really knew it that well before this week. The thing with their song titles is like, if you don't know the song, the title's not really going to help you remember it. Yeah, so I'm like, true. I don't remember the song. And then I heard it, I'm like, oh, this is a good ass song. Speaking of the title, Mike, mm. it's time for our next favorite segment. Cook it up with Susie Cook, our vocab hour. Doldrums. Who the hell knows what that means? I had to look it up. <laughs> All right. Enlighten us, Tessa. Is it a state of sadness or stillness? I think you're right. Thank you, Internet. It's not good. It's not a good thing. A period of inactivity, stagnation, and depression. Damn. So that's where you're at, I guess, when you're in the midst of a breakup. It's just a state of terrible, terrible depression. But it's bang the doldrums. Isn't it sort of about, like, let's kick the doldrums? Like, let's shake it off? I think it's just a play on drums and the word doldrum. I think they're trying to be witty there, but I could be wrong. They're pretty witty. Yeah. They're pretty witty. Track number 12. Fame, sideways carrot, infamy. <laughs> Wait. Fame, less than infamy? <laughs> sure, we'll go with that. Fame, less than infamy. I'm a preacher, sweating in the pew. For the salvation, I'm It's a tricky title right there. I do think the back half of this album, I don't know if it has like a a little less pizzazz or it's just not as, I don't want to say just not as catchy because the songs are kind of catchy, but it's got a different vibe. This is definitely when the album slows down a little bit for me. I feel the same way. And I was wondering why that was. Like these were the songs that I was way less familiar with. And in doing some research this week, they don't really play these songs live anymore. Like, they played them in support of this album on that tour. But for the most part, a lot of these songs just have never been played live again. So I was thinking, oh, I guess that makes sense. Like, if they essentially don't keep putting them out there into the ether, there's no reason why I would have heard it secondhand or by accident over the years. And this song's a really interesting one, isn't it, Tessa? I think it's very direct. Pete Wentz sort of struggling almost with his identity. And he's an artist. And this is him sort of being like, I'm seen by the world as this pop punk star. But it, at the end of the day, I, I'm an artist. What I bring to this is the lyrics. And I do think that is sort of the unique setup of Fallout Boy is that Pete Wentz is writing the lyrics, but then Patrick Stomp is putting the music to it. And one of my favorite lines is him sort of poking fun at himself in the, I'm all right in bed, but I'm better with a pen. Yeah, I love that line. It's a great line. I do see this song as 
them admitting that the fame is slowly getting to their heads. And they're admitting that they do have a bit of a God complex because of this newfound fame. But there is some level of groundedness because of what you mentioned, Tessa. Like, okay, we're still just human beings. Would you say it's a loaded God complex, Keenan? That's exactly what I'd say, Mike. And that's exactly what they would say. They say, essentially, they're God's gift to pop punk. Like, they're so talented and skilled. And I thought back to that sugar we're going down line. Like, yeah, is the fame getting to their heads? Do they realize that they're thinking they're more than they are? Or is this them saying, like, we understand our new reputation is that we're, like, the biggest thing there ever was, but maybe they're trying to come to terms with it all. Maybe this song is a reminder to just be human. There's a lot of parts of this album that I think are just sort of cocky, and I don't want to say hubris is their downfall, because I still love the album, so there is no downfall for me, but, you know, I think we're here again, right? You're right. And guess what, guys? This is the season two finale. We're taking some liberties, right? Oh, yeah. This song has my tattoo line. (laughs) What? Surprise, motherfuckers. (laughs) There's too much green to feel blue. I'm getting that big on my body. Where? Is it going to be in green? Is it going to be in blue? Oh, there's going to be some green and blue. That's for sure. There's definitely going to be a black and blue once I get it. (laughs) You could sort of do like a bicep thing. Ooh, maybe one bicep is there's too much green and the other one is to feel blue. Yeah, yeah, that could yeah, be yeah. good. I like it. The reason I like this one is because I think there's actually a double meaning to it. You could either interpret it as they're too rich to feel sad, green being money, blue being sad, or they're too naive to be sad. Like they don't know what's going on around them to make them sad. Green meaning naive and blue meaning sad. What do you think of that? I like it. I like it, too. I like that we're all getting tattoos at the end of this episode. Well, we're all getting each of ours, so we're going to have a shitload of tattoos. Yeah, yeah, Everybody has to get all three, that's yeah. what you're saying. Oh, yeah. that'd be fun. Yeah, we're all getting all three of them. That's what I meant to say. Yeah. <laughs> Mike's panicking. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, shit. Ooh, what did I sign up for here? Ooh. I never thought of it like that, Keenan. That's cool, because I think both situations apply to them. They probably have too much money than they know what to do with at this point, and they're still not really well-versed in all the ins and outs of the industry that they're now standing at the top of. Exactly. What would you guys do if right now you just had a a ton of money that just showed up? Hmm. Every time I play the lottery, I feel like people think about it, but I, I don't know if I would do much different. Like maybe probably go somewhere. I would, I think I would like to go more places, I guess, because I could afford to, and I wouldn't be tied down to a job. But otherwise, I don't think I would change much in terms of how I lived. I don't know. Does that sound too humble? <laughs> yeah. No, I think similarly. I, I my first instinct would be to save it. Nah. But there has to be there'd have to be something fun I'd get. I'd spend it on my good friends Mike and Tessa. You know, oh, I'd take good a, all three of us on a nice trip somewhere. Uh, buy us all some cars. Can we go to Canada? Sure. Canada, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'd, I've never been to Canada. Really? Oh, beautiful this time of year. Mm-mm. I didn't row, so I didn't have the the luxury of just going pl- random places. You'd have all the free vacations. Yeah. <laughs> you weren't constantly ending up in Canada. Yeah. I think I'd buy my childhood home. I don't know what I'd do Ooh. with it. I'd, it would definitely be more trouble than it was worth, but I think that's what I'd do. Are your parents still in that home or no? Yeah, but they're definitely gearing up to sell because mm. it's time. 
Yeah. A house in Chesterfield, New Hampshire does not necessarily make sense, but. Be cool, though. That's a beautiful sentiment. I think I would try to buy back the past, too. Yeah. Not my childhood home because, well, I think I already mentioned it, but I'm currently living in, like, the home my great-grandparents bought in 1979. So this house that I'm currently in is, like, has run in the family for years. But maybe I would use the money to buy a new house because we have another kid on the way and we'll have to move eventually. Yeah. And still keep this one and just rent it out to some schmuck. That's what I think about. <laughs> Renting my childhood home out to a schmuck. Yeah, that's the dream. Same idea. I just figured out what I would do. I would buy both of your childhood houses with all my money. Okay. <laughs> and I wouldn't ever out. sell it back to you guys. <laughs> the asshole. I'd show up. I'd just be like, hey, I'm home for Christmas. Nope. And then I would buy security to kick you out. I don't know where you're going to find security <laughs> for that spot in New that's Hampshire. If you eat her ice cream... <laughs> No security in the world can hold her. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah. Hulk out. I would also like to just, whenever you think of something and say, remember that, just go and buy that thing. I found my old Game Boy Color the other day when I was like cleaning out my childhood room. I didn't have the heart to throw it out, but I can't figure out how to make it work. Ooh. Oh. If I had a shit ton of money, I would buy Tessa's uh, Game Boy. <laughs> and also all the memories that Mike was just talking about. But if you didn't find your Game Boy in your childhood home you could just go on ebay and buy another one that's what i'm saying like that's true yeah yeah if i had a lot of money i'd go on ebay and buy all the game boys before tess could do it <laughs> i think my favorite game boy game was one of the mario super mario brothers with all the little levels Ooh, that that's was a, a classic. great game that was a good i would one. find that <laughs> all right <laughs> so, that, that every, went on so many f***ing tangents i know that, every like, toy <laughs> i didn't have i would just go and buy it now <laughs> that started from Oh, guys, here's my tattoo line, green and blue, and then I buy all the Mario fucking Game Boys and shit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was crazy. Tessa was going to tell us one more thing she would buy. Oh, what else would you buy, Tessa? There was one year for Christmas that I bought myself sock and boppers. Oh, sock and boppers. Sock and boppers. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. Best money I ever spent. Oh, that is good money. Oh, we could buy... A regulation size sock and boppers ring. Oh, just have Ooh. a have a federation. That was the best toy ever. That was Let's a good create toy. balloons and put them on children's hands and have them punch each other. <laughs> sock and boppers. Track number thirteen. You're crashing, but you're no wave. <laughs> Got him. interesting song this was a very interesting song it's fast it's slow you're rocking out before the chorus but the chorus is just like almost anthemy um anthemy you know what i'm saying anthemy yeah anthemy yeah anthemy there's like a choir singing but it's essentially about the american justice system it's like a complete like 
tangent from the rest of the album. Yeah. It was one of the only ones that at least I think was not just direct self-reflection. It was not talking about something that they were experiencing or something that happened in their past. It was something real life that they were alluding to, but not that personal, I don't think. This was too specific a topic in my mind to just be like, oh, here's a general song about the legal system screwing people. Uh, so I did look into it, Keenan, and it's actually about the case of the trial of Fred Hampton Jr., who was convicted of arson in the aftermath of the acquittal of the police officers who beat Rodney King back in the early 90s. And Fred Hampton Jr. was sentenced to 18 years in prison for arson. His history dates back farther than that. His father was actually a member of the Black Panthers who was shot and killed by Chicago police back in the 60s. So Pete Wentz, the guys from Fall Out Boy being from Chicago, I guess it's more, it's a local story, but one that's nationally relevant in terms of how the legal system favors people that can post bail, buy their way out of prison. Essentially, like, I think one of the lines is like, just pay enough money and there's no trial, like everything's expunged, whatever. And, um, screws over the less fortunate who really are at the mercy of the legal system, which unfortunately doesn't lead to justice. I think it's really topical in today's climate. We have all these super political and racially charged court cases that are going on literally right now. There's the Kyle Rittenhouse case, the Ahmaud Arbery case. So I know that this has always kind of happened, but right now it feels like it's, it's really gearing up in today's world. One thing I will say, while it is definitely related to that court case you mentioned, Mike, I couldn't help but think that they had to relate it to something that actually is related to them more directly. I think there could be a connection between this rigged court case and Fall Out Boy perceiving the way that they're portrayed in the media. Like, they have this constant trial by media where everybody's judging them and making these decisions about them. I thought maybe they were relating a case like that to their own self-image guilty until proven innocent keenan that's exactly right so i don't know it was my take on it and here we go guys the final song of this marathon album the final song of season two of the pop punk project track 14 i can't believe i even said that track 14 i've got all this ringing in my ears and none on my fingers I don't know what the title means, but I do really like the song. I think it's perky. It's got horns. It almost reminds me of Panic at the Disco. Mm. Uh, love the lyric. The truth is worse than anything I could bring myself to do to you. It's like one of those solid, like fun songs where then you listen to the lyrics and you're like, 
oh, that's dark. So it is pretty dark. I thought that this was about a toxic relationship. I thought it maybe could have been about, which we talked about earlier, a one night stand. This guy, he sounds a bit like a sociopath. Like he knows he's going to hurt this girl, but he doesn't really care. And he continues with his dirty deeds anyway. And I thought about that opening line about the canary and the coal mine where she's the canary and he's the coal mine. Mike, do you know the backstory of canaries and coal mines? Certainly, Keenan. I certainly do. <laughs> if you're working in a mine and they would keep a canary in a cage down there, if the canary dies, then that means that the air is not going to be breathable pretty soon, so you better get the F out. I think it's maybe due to the oxygen or the pollution of the coal or ore or whatever they were mining for. But either way, if she's the canary, then he's literally killing her or smothering her in order to help save himself. That's exactly right, Mike. She's a sacrifice to his toxic ways. She's just a byproduct of this terrible guy and this failing relationship. Pretty dark. Yeah, not a fun last song. Although it sounds fun until you think about it. We should stop thinking about it. <laughs> that's most Fall Out Boy songs, I think. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Oh, and Tessa. Some of these titles, I don't know what they mean, but I did figure out what this one Oh, what does it mean? Uh, I figured it out because somebody told me on the internet. <laughs> but They're so nice of them. <laughs> oh, come on. I could have told you this one's about. I've got all this ringing in my ears and none of my fingers is a nod to the fact that at the time, members of the band were relentlessly touring and subject to tinnitus and also unmarried. Yep. Oh, okay. Because I got the ringing in the ears. I knew that often like rock and roll stars would get it, but none of them are married. Are any of them married now? I shouldn't ask that question because we don't actually know the answer. There's like two of them, right? Well, we know Pete Wentz married and then divorced Ashley Simpson, which I feel like had to have been right around this time. But I think it was Pop Punk Princess. Yep. I think it was around this time. Uh, I know that Pete Wentz is definitely in a very serious relationship. I don't know if they're just dating or actually married, but he's in a long time relationship right now. Life partners and whatnot. And same with Patrick Stump, but I don't know about Joe or Andy. Andy. Yeah. This song also has, I don't know if it's one of my favorite lines, but it's definitely one of the more interesting lines. New York eyes, Chicago thighs. <laughs> what are Chicago thighs? And how do I get them? <sighs> I think you might have them. <laughs> if that's a compliment. Hopefully that's a compliment. I don't know. It's got to be a compliment. I think she has the New York eyes and he has the Chicago thighs, meaning that he's running away with his Chicago thighs. That was my interpretation. Oh. Or he just has sexy thighs, one or the other. A man with good thighs is hard to hard to say no to. And you should know because your husband has the sexiest thighs out there. He has literally the best thighs <laughs> in the world. Yeah, your guess is as good as mine, Keenan. That sounds reasonable. I would still think relating to this album and how sexual how these songs are maybe thighs are more a sexual nature than running but i don't know <laughs> nah running they do both they can multitask yeah all the powers in the thighs yeah the end of the song is also pretty interesting i do love how they end it talking about the truth and i think the truth is that he's terrible at relationships he can't hold out a relationship that's something that he has to live with and that's worse than any way that he could possibly hurt this woman and what a fitting way to end the album. Because these guys suck at relationships. 
looking back at this one, guys, it seems like this really was a big transition in the sound of this band from their punk and hardcore roots into a more pop punk and then pop radio-friendly Hot 100 sound that we kind of see Fall Out Boy currently in today. They've really taken liberties and just writing the songs they want to. And at times, like they said, they were thankful for their diehard fans for sticking by them and trying to appreciate each new album they released. And by the time this album was released, they were big enough that they could do that. They could just do whatever sound they wanted. That's true, Mike. To that point, I think this marks the first time that people actually started viewing them as these big-time celebrities. Just listening to the themes in the song, they clearly had to deal with the reality of that. And it was often hard for them. I think Pete Wentz probably embraced it more than the other guys in the band. I'm not sure that Patrick, Andy, or Joe ever really embrace that lifestyle. At least you don't see them in the tabloids on TV as much as Pete was. Yeah, I always thought it was unusual how the bassist was not the front man, but still the front man in the sense that he was always the popular one that was on TV and in magazines. But I guess when Pete writes all the lyrics, people want to hear what he has to say. I think ultimately, though, we have to give them credit. No matter how they've changed their sound over time, they've always been able to emotionally connect with their audience. And this is one more album where when all of us listen to it, we feel something at some point. And that is the nature of pop punk and the nature of Fall Out Boy. And I'd like to end the episode with an interesting quote that I read, guys. This is something that Patrick Stump said when he was interviewed and asked about the pressures of making a follow-up to From Under the Cork Tree. He said, The second you worry about other people's expectations is the second you can expect failure. Not that we didn't have big hopes for this album. We want our fans to love it more than anything. But put it this way, we don't sit around second-guessing everything. If you do that, you're bound to make sterile music. And that's when you can expect failure. Doggy, that was a fun one, guys. I'm not an Olympic gold medalist, but I sure am sweating like one. <laughs> I can see that, Mike. Are you okay? Yeah, I just need to take a breather. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that was fun, Mike. I gotta say, though, it's a little sad. That's a wrap on season two, Mike. How do you feel? Fifteen episodes spanned across fifty weeks, Keenan. <laughs> That's great. We really spaced it out. Really uh, milked it, you know? Yeah, it was a fun season, and I think we got to discuss a lot of great albums and maybe more importantly, got to connect with some great guests and some great friends, which made it all that much better. 
That's right, Mike. I couldn't think of a better way to end the season than with our good pal, friend of the show, and once again, Olympic gold medalist, Tessa Gobo Zimmerman. Tessa, we can't thank you enough. Thanks so much for joining us. We had a blast. I hope you did too. Oh my God. I had so much fun. Dream come true. Thank you for having me on my first artistic podcast. Thank you so much. I had a blast. And thank you, Pop Punk Posse. It was quite the journey. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back. We're going to take a little time off. It'll just be a little bit. We'll come back for a Christmas episode. I think we might actually be seeking some input on favorite Pop Punk Christmas songs. So be on the lookout for that. And in the meantime, where can they find us, Mike? poppunkprojectgmail.com Instagram and Twitter at poppunkproject patreon.com slash poppunkproject We can take some comfort in the fact that our break in between these two seasons won't be nearly as long as the six month break it seems like we just got back from Mm, Can't promise anything though, Mike (laughs) (laughs) Life happens (laughs) Yeah, that's true, my wife's uh, due with our second child in March, so who the f*** knows (laughs) Keep forgetting about that very true. Thank you all again. We love you. Mike, I love you. Tess, I love you. And we'll see you guys soon. As always, I hope you had the time of your lives. Good riddance. Oh my god, that was so exciting. Yeah, that was good. Nicely done. That was very nicely done. Way better than Mike. Wow, what a douche. Right? Yeah, don't worry. We're going to beat him up for you. <laughs> we have to find him. If he knew what I did to that freezer door, he oh, never seriously. said that. At first, I thought you meant somebody just wrote an article. Uh, yeah, they're going to say somebody oh, like was no. delivering a news, and they're like, and by the way, local athlete that looks like a man. I was like, what? <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, you said local. Savage in New Hampshire. I'm just stumbling over here. No, Sorry. I got it, but you started off with like totally local site. I'm like, oh my God, what are they write about in New Hampshire? I know. How mean. Slow news day. <laughs> okay, ready? <laughs> Sorry. Oh, God. <laughs> Tessa's just trying to trigger another pee break. <laughs> no, the slow news day really got me. Okay. <clears throat> okay, we can go. So which part of this speaks about Hollywood? Oh, you're going to make... I have to look up the... If you know, if you don't answer that, you, I can just disregard that entirely. I'll, I know. Okay. There was a part, yeah. So. Now, Tessa, you talked about a reference to Hollywood. W- what's that all about? And then, Mike, why don't you say... Oh, wait, actually, wait, that was really stupid. Um, You talked about a reference to Hollywood. Mike, what's that all about? It's, it's really stupid that I literally just... I'm like, shut up, Tessa. All right, Mike, to you now. <laughs> okay, Mike, why don't you just say, oh, yeah, Tessa, you're right, Hollywood. I'm such. Okay. I'm just going to mute my mic for a minute. <laughs> oh, boy. All right, thanks, Tessa, for getting us going. Now let's... All right, let's... Tessa, can you shut up now? All right, Mike, you talk now, please. <laughs> <laughs>